I love that song, uh, No Longer Slaves. I asked Colin to add it this week. I know we don't do it real often, but probably most of you are familiar with it. Uh, if you listen to the, the radio, you've probably heard it uh, one, or two, <laughs> one or two times. But when singing that, sometimes I find myself with the line, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Sometimes when that line comes up and it's time for me to sing it, I have a hard time getting it out. Ever been there? I, even singing it, like I know I, I want to believe it, I want to sing it, and sometimes it's easier to sing, but sometimes it's so hard to even get out the words, and you just get that feeling. I want to sing it. I really want to, but I, I, I just can't. So maybe you wake up every morning facing something that is so big, so strong, and it's taunting you. It's making fun of you. It's looming over you. It's daring you. Come at me, bro. There it is. Every morning when you wake up, you're terrified to get out of bed because you know it's there. Maybe it's the fear of being alone. Maybe it's the fear of losing everything that you have. Maybe it's the fear of losing a job. Maybe it's the fear of everything that's going on right now. Maybe it's the fear of death itself. Maybe it's the fear of losing loved ones. Maybe it's the fear of falling into an addiction that you've been fighting for so long. Maybe it's something completely different to you. Maybe it's like Charlie Brown when he goes up to Lucy's psychiatric booth and pays five cents for the psychiatric help. And she's like, well, what are you afraid of, Charlie Brown? And he's like, she lists all the fears. And then finally he, she says, it's pantophobia, fear of everything. And he's like, that's it. Maybe you're just anxious about everything. Maybe you just find yourself being an anxious person, always worried about tomorrow, always worried about what's going to happen and being scared that you don't know. We like to have control. Any of those things sound familiar? Maybe it's something completely different for you. I don't know. I wake up, one of my fears that I struggle with on a daily basis is the fear of not being able to live up to what somebody wants me to do. I feel like I'm not, I feel like if I make one wrong move, then I'm out, whether it's a relationship or whether it's even with God. It's like I'm always just scared of making the wrong move to disappoint someone, even God. Maybe it's something completely different for you, but I'm sure most of you at some point or another, even if it's not right now, have gone through that exact same thing. Anxiety, depression are at an all-time high. Suicide rate is just climbing, and not just with young people, even though how sad that is. Pastors are taking their own life. We see celebrities that seem to have it all. Can't take the anxiety, the depression, the fear, and they take their own lives. Maybe you've been so far to that point. I don't know. But I'm guessing that you have had some sort of fear. And we're not just talking like fear of snakes or, or spiders or something. I, I, back in the day, I was four years old, and I accidentally watched Jaws, so I was scared to death of sharks for the longest time. That is not a movie when you're four that you should be watching. I could not literally hang my feet off of my bed at night because I thought that a shark was going to come bite it off. It was a terrible, terrible show. I've never, I've never watched it to this day after that. Like, I'm not going back there. 
I get made fun of every day. My small group has the one laughing back there. Like, yeah, they, I'm over it now, but I'm still not watching the movie. I'm not talking about that. And you know that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something bigger. Something that's so tall that you can't go over it. Something so wide that you can't go around it. Something so big that you can't go through. Something too fast that you can't run from. It's just there and you can't get away from it. You wake up to it, you go to bed to it, and you can't get away. You can't beat it. It's there every day. If you have your Bibles, can you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17? If you have your phone, you can flip to it. Um, if you're not sure where 1 Samuel 17 is, it's right before 2 Samuel, and right before 1 Samuel 18, so there's a good hint. Today we're going to talk about one of probably the most famous stories, uh, accounts in the Old Testament, and I got news for you. The story of David and Goliath is not about David. The story of David and Goliath is not about Goliath. It's not about Saul, it's not about Israel, it's not about a sling, it's not about a stone, it's about the Almighty God. And a hint, the entire Bible is about the Almighty God. I'll just just tell you the end right now, God wins, okay? The story of David and Goliath is not about David, not about Goliath. But here's the story, here's the backstory. You've probably heard of Saul, he was the first king of Israel, Israel goes to Samuel, who was a, a, a prophet to God. He talked to God on Israel's behalf. And Israel comes to him. They look around at all the nations, and they're like, all the other nations have a king. Samuel, we want a king. And, of course, they said it whiny, like, they have a king. Why can't we have a king? And Samuel goes to God, and God's like, you don't really want a king. Am I not good enough for you? And essentially they said, nope, we want a king. And then they get really whiny, and like, we want a king, and we want it now. And God's like, Listen, if I give you a king, here is what's going to happen. Basically, long story short, it's like two pages worth of of warnings that God says. But basically, God says, a king will have complete control over your life. He'll take whatever he wants, your land, your money, your children, your wives. Everything will be at his disposal. You'll essentially be close to slaves again because you'll be at his service. And your goal will be to serve the king, and he will make sure you know it. And they're like, we know, you know how kids are. We were like that too. We're like, I don't care. I want a king. God's like, all right. So they pick Saul. Saul uh, among the people was a head and says it was head and shoulders over everybody else. A very handsome man, much like myself. Uh, Scratch that from the video. Um, I'm just just kidding. So got a lot of laughter. I'm not sure why. No. So they picked Saul because of appearance alone. And Saul was a good king for a while. He was a great warrior. He was a great military leader. He amassed a lot of land. He conquered a lot of armies with God's help. But something that happens to us, same thing happens to Saul, we get a little comfortable. We get a little prideful. And we start making it more about us than it is about God. That's kind of how it went with Paul or Saul, is that, he started amassing all this stuff, and he started to get proud of it. Well, pride oftentimes actually leads to fear. If you're familiar with history, uh, even if you watched uh, Hamilton, like I've watched it like 30 times uh, since it's come out on Disney, you know King George, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, that guy, he went crazy because of all the wars, because of all the things, because of all the paranoia. He kept looking over his shoulder. 
King Saul, same thing. He kept looking over his shoulder, and instead of being proud and enjoying the things that he had been given and accomplished, he was concerned about keeping it. He started looking over his shoulder all the time, became paranoid. Don't we sometimes do the same thing? We get, let pride get in the way, and it starts becoming more about our story than about God's story. I mean, does this sound familiar? About a year ago, I bet most of us were saying, we're America, that's never going to happen to us. You know, Sam the Eagle started, you know, like, America the Beautiful in the background, and we said, that's never going to happen to us. That's for China. That's for Italy, those places. We're never going to get it here in America. A couple cases happen, and are like, we're not going to get it in America, because we're, we're Americans, right? The music gets a little, a little less loud in the background, and and finally, like, oh, my goodness, we're getting it. Sound familiar? Panic and fear. Start with pride. Ends with fear. That's what happens to Saul. So much to the fact that Saul says in, in 1 Samuel 16 that he had an evil spirit come over him, and I'm pretty sure that that evil spirit was anxiety and fear. So much so the fact that they recommended getting a harpist to come play. Guess who that was? David, right. So David and Saul had a fairly good relationship. David ended up being his armor bearer, but also he was part-time, so he still, he still worked as a sheep herder with his dad, Jesse. So he said, Scripture says that he went back and forth. Um, so Saul knew him, and uh, then one day, they're at battle with the Philistines. Now, the Philistines and the Israelites have been at it at each other for a long time, like all the way back to, you've probably heard of Samson, that big strong guy goes all the way back then and then really even before that. They've always been at odds of each other, but Israel's usually had the upper hand through God's help. So whatever occurrence happened now, the stage is set for 1 Samuel 17, and I'm going to read this just because it's like a total epic, like Lord of the Rings sort of picture between two armies, like waging war against each other. So now the Philistines, this is chapter, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succoth in Judah, they pitched, uh, they pitched camp at Ephes Damum between Succoth and Azekah, I guess. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So you have them on one side. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between. Can't you totally see that? Like armies lined up just waiting to go into the valley for war. Except this was different. Now, the Philistines... Uh, Now, uh, verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out to the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. Uh, Some say nine feet plus. He was really big, okay? So, and scary. He had a bronze helmet in his head and wore a coat of scale armor, uh, bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves, and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, like 15 pounds or so. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So you can just imagine this mammoth of a man walking down in his, in his scary, shiny armor. And he stands in this valley. You know the story. He looks up at the Israelites' army, and he says this. Goliath stood and shouted. This is verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Wait, what? Catch that? 
I thought Israel was God's army. What changed? Perspective changed. God's army was Israel for the longest time. Israel is God's people. God called them. He delivered them. They were his people, but they've gotten caught up in Saul. Their faith, their servanthood was, again, was for the king and not for the king. It was for a man, not for the God. As a matter of fact, where was King Saul when this Goliath was down challenging the, the Israelites? He was cowering in his tent waiting for some smuck Israelite to go, I'll go. Here's their warrior king, frightened in a tent, willing to sacrifice any of his men. And that's who that army was serving, Saul. And Goliath knew it. He continued to taunt him. It says day in and day out. Not only did he taunt, did he mock the army and Saul, he mocked God himself too. He also said that he defied Israel, which is God's people. It says this happened for 40 days. In the morning and in the evening, they lined up for battle like they knew nothing was going to happen because this giant was going to come out every day, taunt them, Say, come at me, bro. You win. This war's over. We're yours. I win. You're ours. Day after day, 40 days, they woke up knowing that they were going to face this giant and knowing there wasn't anything they could do about it. Meantime, David is is tending his sheep. His dad says, hey, go take your brothers, who three of them were fighting the war while fighting. They were standing in line, being afraid of Goliath. And uh, Jesse, David's dad, says, hey, go take him some lunch. Here's some Lunchables and some, you know, Twinkies or whatever. Go take him to your brothers. And so David does. And it just happens to be the time that, Saul, uh, that Goliath is out doing his challenge, his trash talking. And David is like, whoa, what's he saying? I'm sorry, what did he say? And he looks around. I can see him looking around. He's like, did you hear what this guy just said about our God? And they're like, do you hear what he said about God? He can't. We can't stand for this. And they're like, where we are. (laughs) Do you see him? David's like, I'll take care of it. With God's help, I'll take care of it. So probably know the story. He goes, ends up talking to Saul. Saul's like, are you kidding me? No way. And then he's like, well, okay, why not? You're just a kid. I can spare you. So he gives him his, his armor, and it's way too big. And David's like, I can't wear this. I don't need it anyway. God's with me. So he takes his sling. He grabs five of these. This is a lot smaller than that giant. <laughs> I'm like, man, that is takes him out to the field, and basically starts trash-talking this giant. Hey, Goliath, you're going down today. And I'm sure Goliath is like, well, what are you? Who are you? Like, go back and play with your Legos or something. Like, go, go. He's like, no, you cannot defy my God like that. And then so they start this little trash-talking. Well, I'm going to feed you to the Goliath says, I'm going to feed you to the dogs. And David's like, uh-uh, I'm going to feed you to the dogs. And he's like, I'm going to feed you to the dogs. I'm going to feed you. Back and forth, back and forth. Until finally, the battle starts, well, sort of. <laughs> David takes one, one of the five, puts it in a sling. You know the drill right here. 
it says, on impact, Goliath fell, dead. And just to make, just to be sure, right, David took his sword and cut the head off. The story of David and Goliath is not about David. Yes, he had great faith. Yes, he served God, and yes, we should learn from that. But this story is about how God sees our giants as nothing. There is nothing that we face on a daily basis that cannot overcome our God, so much to the fact that God says, you know what, I'm going to take this little boy against this giant, but you know what, I'm not even going to use that. I'm going to use something smaller to show you that this guy that you've been afraid of for 40 days and 40 nights is nothing compared to the Almighty God. And down he goes. The question is, how do we use this for our giants? One thing Israel forgot, and I started thinking about this rock and just thinking through the history of Israel. Did you realize that all of the times that God performed miracles, either delivering, uh, either delivering the Israelites from Egypt or in their battles that God called them to do, he used something so inconsequential to perform his miracle. Have you ever thought about that? The ten, the ten plagues, Moses held out his stick over the Nile, it turned to blood. As the Israelites were fleeing Egypt, they came upon the Red Sea and they start whining again. I can't believe you brought us out here to die. Pharaoh's army's closing in on them. They've got the Red Sea, which is a giant body of water right in front of them. They know they're going to die. And God's like, Moses, take this stick and just wave it over the water. This giant body of water parts and they cross safely. God calls them to destroy Jericho this city with this great wall that's impenetrable. You can't get through it. It's built that way for a reason, because you cannot defeat it. And Israel, like, there is no way that we can take this wall down. And God's like, here's a trumpet. Walk around it a few times and blow it. A trumpet. A stone. God keeps telling us over and over through Scripture that there is nothing that is too big for him. A den of lions, no big deal. A fiery furnace, Whatever this world can throw at God, God is bigger than. And that's the first step is for us to understand that. Our perspective needs to be like David's perspective, not Saul's. It needs to be about God and not about us. God, what can I do for you today? Not, God, what can you do for me today? How many of you in that position? I'm in it just about every day. Hey, God, what you going to do for me today? I went to church. Even during, even during a pandemic, God, what you got for me? Yeah. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it's not about me. So first we need to start there. We need to pray every day. God, help me understand that you are bigger than it all. And we need to understand this important truth. And this is probably the most important thing. If you get anything out of today, get this. The biggest giant that we face on a daily basis is death that we brought on ourselves. And it is nothing compared to God. As a matter of fact, 
I want to show you something. In the New Testament, remember I told you that God used all these little tiny things, even though he didn't really need them. They were object lessons. He didn't need the rock to take down Goliath. I mean, he's God, right? But in the New Testament, when Jesus performed his miracles, there's only two instances that I can think of that he used actually like an object to do his miracles. And they were examples. Again, he used mud over a blind man's eye, and he told some lepers to go wash themselves in the water. But a raging sea, peace, be still, quiet. A little girl who has died, little girl, wake up, wakes up. You see, God doesn't need things, speaks it into existence, just like Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God said, God speaks things into existence. He speaks death into life. Lazarus, dead. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Stone rolls away, Lazarus walks out. He spoke. There was another death, though. Death on a cross. Scripture says, God sent his only son, to the world to die. He had no sin, did nothing wrong, and yet he hung on that cross because of the debt that we owed. The death that should scare us all doesn't need to anymore because he conquered it once and for all. And three days later, that stone rolled away, no words spoken, no things used. The stone was rolled away, a tomb is now to this day still empty. It's still empty. Lazarus died twice. I feel really bad for the guy, but he died twice. I'm sure he wasn't happy about it either. Jesus lives today. The tomb is empty. And we have to understand that when we face our giants, that the ultimate giant in death has already been conquered. Sin, already been conquered by Jesus And if we start focusing our eyes on that and thinking about that, nothing else compares. It's about perspective. I'm convinced that there's going to be a time in the near future that we're going to look back on 2020. You're like, ugh, I hate 2020. It stinks. Yes, it does. But I bet that there's going to be a time where there's little pieces of it that we're going to appreciate. Amy and I have three boys the youngest was a senior last year. It's you know, a terrible time to be a senior. Two in college. They were home. We had absolutely nothing to do except drive each other nuts for six months. Sometimes we did it well. But we had six months of time. Nothing else to do. Just to spend with them. I bet we're going to look back sometime and say, that was a good time. Because we're, we're going to be empty nesters soon, maybe, <laughs> in a few years. And we're going to look back and say, I'm thankful for that time. Yes, there was a pandemic. Yes, all of that happened. Yes, we, our lives were very much inconvenienced. Yes, there was all of this stuff going on. But our perspective should be God. We should keep our eyes on him the entire time. Through a pandemic, through whatever fears that we have, we've got to say, God, take it from me. 
Help me overcome it. Not about me, but about you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not be anxious about anything. What you eat, what you'll wear. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. They don't worry about that stuff. Paul says at the end of his Philippians letter, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but with everything, and here's the key, with prayer and petition, offer yourselves to God as living sacrifices. That means you're sacrificing yourself to God. You're not praying for God to give you something. You're praying, God, what can I give to you? What can I offer you? What can I do for you today? But the first thing he says in that sentence is rejoice. Some of you have a hard time rejoicing right now. I have a hard time rejoicing sometimes, knowing that that giant is there mocking me. But if we start to worship God in the midst of that, just like Jesus did that night before he was betrayed, it says he went into the garden and sung hymns, prayed. He refocused his mind, not on the cross, but on what God wanted him to do. And if we do that same thing, it can help overcome some of these fears. It's not going to be like this. It's not going to be instantaneous. But continue to put your faith and trust in him and put aside your own things. And then you'll start to see things getting a little, a little more clear. Are they going to be fixed forever? But you know death has been. And so then we can come to this time and we can sing with confidence I'm no longer a slave to sin. We're going to take communion as we walk out today. We're going to give an offering as we walk out today. And both are objects to remind us of something. The offering is to remind us that sometimes our biggest worry is finances. And as we give of our finances, we're saying, God, I trust you to take care of me. I trust you to give, us, to give me my daily bread. And then we take the communion, we take the bread and the cup, and we are reminded of that cross that conquered that death once and for all. I love the song. We're not going to sing it today. That death was arrested. That's when death was arrested. Let's pray. God, we're anxious people. We let a lot of things get in our way. We lose perspective of you. We lose perspective of the cross. And God, we are bombarded with stuff every day that just beats us down, much like the giant. But God, I pray that we can declare each and every day, this Goliath in front of us must fall and will fall because of your power, because it's about you, not me. And God, I pray that we can sing with confidence, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.